0: Never get tired of seeing that. You know why we cheer? Cheer for a couple reasons. One, we cheer because we're excited that Christ is saved and changed another life. But I was thinking about this, that the resurrection of Jesus, the very first one, he'd been crucified, they put him into the ground, he stayed there for three days. But I want you to know what heaven was doing while Jesus was in the ground. They knew what was going to happen. They knew that God was going to come bust him out of the tomb. So in those three days, they were counting to three, and I think they were just leaning over the rails being really quiet and waiting. And the second that Jesus came busting out of that grave, I'm telling you, heaven lost it. They lost it. It was a holy roar. And that's a picture. Baptism is a picture of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on this day. He came from death to life. He conquered death. That's why we celebrate. So let's pray together. Let's ask God to move in the rest of our time today. Father, we love you. I thank you for the lives that you change. I couldn't change a life. No man can change a life, but only you can. And so, Lord, I pray that even now in this next few minutes we have together before the service is over, that you would do that very thing, that you would meet people right where they're at. And speak to them and change them. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, guys, my name is Matt Carter. I'm the founding pastor of the Austin Stone. And um, and one of the pastors of preaching here, and we're so glad you're here. Just echo what Aaron said. Thank you for fighting the crowds and the traffic and and being here. We hope it's been a good experience for you. Um, If you brought a Bible, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you didn't, that's totally okay. We're going to have the scripture behind me when I'm preaching, but we're in Ephesians chapter 1. We, as a church, believe that the Bible's true. And one of the things we do as a church is we just preach verse by verse through the Bible, uh, different books of the Bible. That's, and we're in Ephesians. We're in chapter 1. We just started Ephesians. And we thought about the fact that it's Easter. We could stop and kind of just do an Easter message. But we made the decision that this was a great text that we're already in in the Bible. So we're just going to keep going. And I'll get there in just a second. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 1. But I want to start off telling you a story. I read an article this week. Uh, The article was written in 2008, and it was actually a true story. It's kind of crazy, but it's a true story. It was about a college kid in Germany named Sergei Sudev. That was his name, Sergei Sudev. And he was just a normal college kid. Um, he He was working, putting himself through college. And he was not destitute, but he was college poor. You know the difference between destitute and college poor? Got any college kids in here? Couple, y'all know what it's like. It's like when you find $5 in the cushion of your couch and you celebrate by taking your buddies to Taco Bell. That's college poor. That's how you know if you're college poor. Well, he was college poor. He was living on about 240 American dollars a month. And all of a sudden, when he was studying, he gets a a knock on the door. And this guy was standing there at the front door in a suit and a briefcase. Sergey lets the guy in. The guy sits down. And this guy brings Sergei some bad news. He says, your uncle has died. He informs him that his uncle has died. Well, Sergei thought that was weird, according to Article 1, because he'd only met his uncle one time. It was at a, a family reunion 10 years before when Sergei was 11 years old. He said, so one, it was kind of weird because I'd only met my uncle once, and, and two, why is this guy in a suit coming up and telling me that my uncle had died? Well, he found out the man was a lawyer, he found out the man was a lawyer, and the lawyer began to inform Sergei that the uncle, after his death, he had no heirs. He had no heirs. And that uh, back in the family reunion 10 years before... That the eleven-year-old Sergei had made such an impression on this old guy, this uncle, that the uncle decided that he was going to leave his entire fortune of nine hundred and seventy-five million dollars to Sergei. True story. You can go read it. Look it up. So this kid, this kid, the first thing out of his mouth, he looks at the lawyer. He says, "Is this a joke?" He asks questions. "Is this a joke?" And the guy looks back at him and says, "This is no joke, son. You're a billionaire." And so this guy goes from literally nothing to having a billion dollars in the bank. And I don't know, the, the, the story of the article doesn't tell what happened to Sergey after that. Um, I don't know if he quit college. Um, I would have, right? I, don't, I, I would have. It, 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 think about it. You're studying calculus and you're doing calculus and you think, I've got a million or billion dollars in the bank. I'm out, right? I mean, I think I would have quit. So we don't know if he did that or not. But we know two things from the story. Number one. Moral of the story, be nice to your uncle or family reunion. Amen? That's the first moral of the story. And number two, got to believe that an inheritance like that changes everything. When you hear you're getting an inheritance like that, your life's going to be radically different from the time that you hear it until you collect until the end of your life. And and that's kind of what I want to talk to you guys about today. Is this, I'm not a lawyer, but i got news for you today. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian... If you've believed in the Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection to forgive you of your sin, the scripture is about to tell you and I that we are going to receive one day an inheritance. The Bible tells us that, that we are going to get an inheritance. And the Bible, I'll tell you about that in a minute, it's kind of vague about it, but we got to believe that if God is giving us an inheritance, that it's probably going to make that $975 million seem a little bit insignificant. So let's jump into the text, let's see what the scripture says about this inheritance that you and I are going to receive who are in Christ Jesus. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, this is where Hall M., one of our pastors, preached a couple weeks ago. He said, in him, that's Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now church, that's just our salvation All in the world, Paul just said is this, is that in Jesus, if you believe in him, you have two things. You have redemption through his blood. You and God are redeemed. He restores your relationship back to God And two. You have forgiveness of your trespasses. That's a fancy way of saying God forgives your sin. That all the sins you've ever committed and all the sins you're ever going to commit because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, if you trust in that, God forgives every single one of them. That's what we get. And then he goes on there. It says, which he lavished on us, In all wisdom and insight, verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will. I talked about that last week. That is, God is the one that reveals to our hearts Jesus, the gospel. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. Verse 10, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. And then, interestingly, the the guys that put the New Testament together... um, In English, from the Greek, they put the word in him at the end of the sentence. I'm not sure why they did that because it probably should be in the next verse, in verse 11. And this is where it starts talking about inheritance. It says, in him, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose. He works all things to the counsel of his will. Now, church, what the Bible just said to you and to me is that not only does God save us from our sin and restore us back to himself, but God doesn't stop there. The Bible says that on top of all of that, he wants to give us an inheritance, that you don't just obtain salvation, but you attain an inheritance. And so, one, that ought to excite you. That's pretty cool. You just found out you got an inheritance. And number two, you probably ought to have some questions. Like Sergey, he had a question like, is this a joke? I'm telling you it's not a joke. I believe every word of the Scripture is true. And so I want to spend the rest of our time in the message today just answering a couple of questions about this inheritance we just found we're getting because of Jesus and our belief in Him. So the first question I want to answer is why. Why does God want to give us an inheritance? Why does He do that? Because it would have been enough for God and His love just to save us. The Scripture says that we sinned, we fell short of His glory, The Bible says that we were enemies of God before he saves us. We're running from God, rebelling against God. He comes in his grace. He gives us Jesus. He saves us, but he doesn't stop there. The scripture says, I'm going to give you this inheritance. Why? Why does he do that? Well, here's the answer. Because, as we've been saying, God doesn't just save us from our sins, but what we're about to see in Galatians is not only does he save you and forgive you, but God said he wants to make you his son. The scripture says that God wants to make you his son. He wants to make you his daughter. God doesn't stop with just forgiving you of your sins in his holiness and your sin and just forgive you through Jesus, but he goes past that and he says, I want you to be in my family. I want you to be in my family. Look at it, Galatians chapter four. Don't turn there, just listen to it. Paul says, but in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, that's Mary, Born under the law. Now this is why this happened, So that he, that's Jesus, might redeem those who were born under the law. That's you and me. All and That's a fancy way of saying all of us who have sinned, who couldn't keep all the Ten Commandments, that's you and me. And he came, he redeemed all of us under the law. Why? That we might receive the adoption as sons. So God doesn't stop with forgiveness. God says, I got more I want to give you. I don't want to just forgive you. I want to make you my son. I want to make you my daughter. And then in verse 7, watch what it says. Therefore, because God's made you a son, because God's made you a daughter, he's invited you into the family. Watch what it says. It says, therefore, you are no longer a slave. You're not a slave to sin anymore, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So not only does he forgive you, but he makes you His son or his daughter. Not only does he make you a son or daughter, but you are now an heir. Of God, Why are you getting an inheritance? Because you are a son or a daughter of the king. And sons and daughters are the ones who get inheritance. And that's why. But the scripture doesn't stop there. It's pretty cool. The scripture begins to talk kind of about this idea of us being heirs of God, which is crazy that we're heirs of God. But one of the first questions that came to my mind was, okay, the Bible said I'm I'm in the family of God now. I'm his son. I'm actually son of the living God. And because of that, I'm an heir of God. That's awesome. But what kind of heir am I? And there's a lot of people that are going to receive this inheritance. There's a lot of Christians. So is there like an heir hierarchy? You know, where am I on the list? A lot of people are doing this. How's it going to go? The Bible actually speaks to that, kind of what kind of heir we're going to be. And it says it in Romans eight fifteen, 15, and 16 and 17. These are amazing verses. In verse 15, it says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons which cry out Abba, Father. And all the word that says is when you're saved, God gives you his Holy Spirit. And he puts the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Holy Spirit inside of you is able to call God Daddy, Abba. In verse 16, it says the Spirit himself that now lives in you testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. We're children of God. And if children, Paul says we're children, heirs also. He said, don't forget, if you're a child, you're an heir. Heirs of God. Now watch this, drops a bomb on us. He says, and fellow heirs with Christ. You want to know what kind of heir you are? You know what this thing's gonna look like? This inheritance thing? It says you are a fellow heir with Jesus. That means we're we're not just getting any inheritance. We're not just any kind of heir. The Bible just said that we're our fellow heirs, co-heirs with Jesus, some translations say. You're not a second-rate heir. You're not a B-team heir. You're not a red-headed stepchild heir. That's crazy. You want to have a cool quiet time in the morning before work? Just, just camp out on that line. I am a co-heir with Jesus. What that means, church, is that if you're in Christ, everything that belongs to Christ is one day going to be yours. Everything. That Jesus, that's what that means. Everything that Jesus is going to receive at his inheritance at the, end of the, at the end of the age, you're going to receive also because you are co-heir with Jesus. That's amazing. And if that's true, which it is, it begs another question. What's this inheritance going to be like? We found out we're going to get it. We found out we're co-heirs with Christ. God's adopted us into his family. We're sons and daughters. We're heirs. We're co-heirs with Jesus. What's this inheritance going to be? Well, the interesting thing is, is the Bible's kind of unclear about what our inheritance is going to look like. It only gives us clues. And I think the reason that we only get clues is because I think the English language has a really hard time of explaining how unbelievable this thing's going to be, that we're getting in glory. And the, and the Bible actually alludes to that, that the English language kind of falls short of what our inheritance is going to look like and what it's going to be like. In and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul comes out and says this. Listen, this is a great verse. He says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That's awesome. They're saying that God, for those of us who are in Christ, who've trusted into Jesus, God has prepared an inheritance for him. And Paul saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna attempt to try to describe this thing. And, he's, and he goes off and saying, no eye's ever seen it. No ear's ever heard it. And nobody can even begin to imagine what it's like, what God's prepared for those who love him. Sign me up, amen? Peter also gives us little, little hints about our inheritance. And, and In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he drops more clues about this inheritance we're receiving. In 1 verse, uh, verse Peter uh, three, he's 1, 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You and I have a living hope because Jesus is alive. And then watch what he says. He starts talking about inheritance in verse 4. He says, All this happened in verse 4 to an inheritance. <clears throat> We're getting an inheritance. And then he begins to describe it. He says, That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. Peter tells us four things about our inheritance. Number one, you're getting it in heaven. You're not getting it here on earth. You're going to get a little piece of it. Paul's about to tell us in a minute, but it's reserved for you in heaven. And Peter says three cool things about our inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. Number one, it is imperishable, he says. Number two, it's undefiled. And number three, it is unfading. And that is really good news. And I'm going to tell you why. That we have for us in glory an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. That's cool because on earth, any inheritance you receive, anything you get here on earth is going to be perishable. It's going to be defiled and it's going to fade. It's going to fade. Any inheritance you get on this earth, it's perishable. It's perishable. It's going to get old. It's going to get spent. It's going to get used up. Can't take it with you when you die. I was trying to think of an analogy to tell you guys about how all the stuff we acquire on this earth, how it's perishable. The only thing I can come up with, and I apologize for this, is monopoly. Our lives are a lot like monopoly. We get the board out. We get in the car, and we go around the board a few times. And along the way, as we're taking our few laps around the board, we make some money, if we're good. We make some money. We pay some taxes. Amen? Pay some taxes. We... Uh, we try to stay out of jail if we can. We acquire some property. But here's the problem with that. As there comes a point at the end of it all, after we've gone around, the, made a few laps, and, and made some money, and bought some property, that, it, that at some point in the process, the game ends. The game is going to end. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter what you've acquired during that time. It doesn't matter what you've acquired. It doesn't matter whether you're building motels on Boardwalk or whether you're just collecting rent on Baltic Avenue. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you acquire in this life. There is coming a day where the game's going to be over and you got to put everything you got back in the box. And our life is just like that. You get to go around this thing a few times, get some stuff. There's coming a day you're going to die. And none of that stuff is going with you. It's perishable. It's perishable. Uh, another thing, um, it, it, it's anything we get here on earth, is defiled. It's defiled. The best way to describe that would be that sin's involved with all the stuff we get on earth. I don't care how cool or how awesome it is. Anything you get on earth, there's, there's sin involved with it. There's sin involved. Have you ever noticed why, why nothing really truly is able to fully satisfy us here on this earth? Have you ever stopped for a second and just thought about that? That we have these things in the earth that we think, man, if I can just get this one thing, if I can just grab this and have this, then life's going to be good and I'm going to be happy. And then, lo and behold, you work hard, work hard, work hard, you get it, and then you get there, it's just life. And then you go, well, then there must be something else. And so you go after that, and then you work hard, work hard, and you get it, and it doesn't really fulfill the deep needs of your soul. You ever wondered why we're like that? Well, here's the answer. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity in the heart of man says that God placed eternity in your heart. He doesn't say that God placed eternity in the heart of Christians. He says that God put eternity in every man and every woman's heart. And the reason that nothing on this earth can really truly satisfy us is because non-eternal inheritance cannot satisfy an eternal longing. I don't care what it is. Non-eternal inheritance cannot satisfy the eternal longing that God has placed in your heart. Only the eternal can do that. And the bad stuff about, the bad thing about our inheritance, it is defile. The thing about our inheritance here on earth is it's going to fade. Anything you acquire in this life, it's going to fade. You guys get that. Um, this was illustrated for me a couple days ago. This happened this week. I was... Um, Driving down the road in, in, in my truck, I'm a truck guy. I'm not a car guy. Any truck drivers in here? Um, cool, one of you. Awesome. Welcome to Austin, Matt. So, <clears throat> so I like trucks. I always have, and so I've never been much of a car guy. I just, I'm just not. I, I, I see a Lamborghini, I'm like, oh, that's cool. But the other day, I kind of had a moment with a car. I had a little car moment. Um, I was driving down, I saw a brand new Corvette. I don't know what year it was, but it's like, it's got to be the latest one. That thing looked like the Batmobile. And, I, and I'm like i said, I'm not a car guy, but I, I kind of I confess in some sin. I kind of lusted after that car. I'm looking at it, and I was like, I can imagine myself driving that car. Wait a minute, I can't afford it. And so I got past it, but I was like, I was having a moment with the car. It was gorgeous. And I was like, that's beautiful. And then just a few seconds later, a few seconds later, this other Corvette came breezing past me. But it wasn't a brand new, it wasn't 2013, 2014, whatever. It was, it was my best guess, probably 1997, this Corvette. And it had a rag top. It had one of those kind of convertible looking rag tops and it was kind of ratty looking. It hadn't seen better days. And the color was kind of ugly too. It was this kind of gross gold looking, 1997 color. <laughs> and it breezed past me and the first thing kind of went through my mind was that thing is not as cool as the one I just saw. But as it went by me, I looked at the license plate And it was one of those customized license plates. And the license plate said, oh, man. Oh, man. Because the dude, back in 1997, the guy, the 54-year-old that was going through a midlife crisis that bought that car. (laughs) Back in 1997, he walked on the lot and he saw that cool ragtop. He saw that awesome gold color. And he looked at that thing and went, oh, man. I gotta give me a license plate that says, oh man. And I get it because when I saw the 2014 Corvette go past me, I was the cry of my heart, oh man. But then when I saw the 1997 Ragtop Nasty Gold Car go past me, I didn't go, oh man, I went, oh man. <laughs> Why? Why do I do that? Because it fades. It fades. Everything we get fades. In heaven, what's the scripture promises us that the inheritance you are going to receive because you're a follower of Christ is imperishable? You ain't gonna have to put it back in the box, it's forever, it's undefiled. There's no sin in it. In the new heaven, and the new earth, there is no sin. We're going to get to enjoy the stuff we enjoy here on earth. Go look it up. Go read Revelation. But there's no sin involved. How cool is that going to be? You're going to enjoy it. It will satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. Your inheritance is unfading. The day you see it, the day you die, wake up in the arms of Jesus. He gives you himself and your glorious inheritance. You're going to say, oh man. And then billion years later it's still going to be oh man because it's unfading I love how my hero Charles Spurgeon described our inheritance he's one of my favorite preachers he was preaching on this text and he, he quoted he said we have obtained an inheritance he was quoting the scripture and then he began to preach he said and the man who can truly say that the Lord is mine the man that can truly say the Lord is mine has an inheritance which death cannot wither which space cannot contain, which time cannot limit, and which eternity cannot explore. I love that. He says, we have an inheritance, the man or the woman that can truly say, the Lord is mine. We have an inheritance coming our way, which death can't wither, space cannot contain, time cannot limit, and eternity cannot explore. I love that. I love that. I can't wait for that. Probably the greatest clue the Bible gives us about what our inheritance is going to be like is found just a couple of verses later. Paul starts kind of saying, here's here's one thing we know about inheritance. Read it in Ephesians 1.13. Paul says, In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. Okay, so he said, you heard the gospel, you heard about the cross, you heard about the resurrection, and after you heard it, you believed it. You trusted into that. Watch what he says. He says, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. All in the world that's saying is the day that you're saved, the day you truly believe in Jesus, God gives you the Holy Spirit and you're sealed. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's how you know you're saved. That's what it just said. That's how you know you're saved is the Holy Spirit is in you and it's working through you. That's how you know you're sealed in it. And then he goes on in verse 14. He starts talking about inheritance again. He says the Holy Spirit is given, who is given as a pledge, as a pledge of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is given to you at your salvation is a pledge of your inheritance. That word pledge in the Greek is the Greek word arbon. It was a very common term in business back in ancient Greece. All in the world it means is down payment. If you were going to buy something, buy some property, you would come and you'd give the guy that owned the property, the woman that owned the property, an arbon. And all it is, a little piece of the, of the whole price with the promise, hey, I'm giving you this now, but I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna pay this thing in full. The Bible just said that the Holy Spirit is the R bond, the down payment of your inheritance. God is saying to us, "I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit now. I'm giving the Holy Spirit to you now, and I want you to know, I'm going to promise you, you're going to get to experience a little taste of me through the wholeness of whether for the Holy Spirit. But there's going to come a day. I'm coming back. I'm going to take you home. I'm going to give you all of me forever. The Holy Spirit's the down payment." And that's really cool because what that means is we can know a little bit about what this inheritance is going to be like and feel like because as Christians we know the Holy Spirit is in us and we get to experience the Holy Spirit. That fires me up that that's what heaven's going to be like because I'm telling you, Church, some of the most not not some of the most the most amazing moments in my life have when I have been aware of the presence of the Lord in my life through the Holy Spirit and my salvation. The day I got saved, the day I believed, the day that I surrendered to preach and to be in the ministry, and the Lord just was calling me so clearly, I pulled over on the side of the road and prayed, said, "God, I'll give my life. You'll do whatever you want." The times I've been in the closet and just praying to God and just as His son, just crying out to Him and talking to Him and praying to Him. In, in moments like this in, in the church where the, where the Spirit falls and the Lord's presence kind of shows up and we get to feel Him and sense Him, there is nothing in the world that can replicate what I feel and what I experience in those moments. Nothing gets close to it. Nothing. I never feel more at peace, ever. I never feel more at home. I never feel more joy than the moments when I know I experience God. Aaron and I talk about it all the time, that when God just shows up, we're like, what in the world is like that? Nothing, not money. Money can't replicate that. It's not, not sex, not good food, not Christmas morning, not vacation. You just name something in the world, it just doesn't get close to what I experience when I am experiencing the Lord. And God says, you want to know what your inheritance is going to be like? Here's a taste. The Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give this to you now. Enjoy it. But there's coming a day you're no longer just going to be tasting." you're going to experience the fullness of my presence forever. What's our inheritance going to be like? I don't know, but I know Paul says that it's written that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and the heart of man has not imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I want to end the message today, but I want to look at one more verse because Paul drops a bomb on us. It's one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. As I looked at commentaries on this particular verse over and over and over again, the old dead guys, the old theologians, they were like, this is unbelievable what you're about to hear. Paul's gonna talk about uh, inheritance one last time, but the fascinating thing about it is Paul is, not, is no longer talking about your inheritance and mine. Paul's talking about a different inheritance. Let's read this together and then we're done. Well, Ephesians 1.18, Paul says this, a few verses later after he says, the Holy Spirit is the pledge of your inheritance. He says, I pray, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Did you know that your heart has eyes? It has spiritual eyes, Paul said. The Bible says your heart has eyes. And Paul's praying. He's praying for you. He's praying for the church, praying for me. He says, God, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart. That they wouldn't just know it, but they would experience this truth. That the truth that he's about to drop on us would just, boom, it would rest on our hearts. Now watch what he's praying here. Why he's praying the heart, or rather the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. He says, one, so that you will know what is the hope of your calling. Paul says, I'm praying for these people that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they would know the hope of Jesus, that there's hope there. And And then he drops the bomb and he says, And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Look at that really carefully. All chapter one, he's talking about our inheritance, your inheritance. We've obtained an inheritance. The Holy Spirit's a pledge of your inheritance. And then all of a sudden, Paul stops. He's like, I'm praying that their eyes will be open to this truth, that they would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. His inheritance, notice he he doesn't say the glorious riches of your inheritance, he says his. Paul is no longer talking about yours, he's talking about God's inheritance. What in the world is God's inheritance? Well, it tells us, it says the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Who are the saints? It's us over and over again, the Bible calls us the holy ones of God that are in Christ. We're the saints. You know what that verse just said? That verse just said, we are God's inheritance. It's crystal clear about what God's inheritance is. It's us. You think about that for a second, how cool that is. Because God has everything in heaven But one thing, God already has the imperishable, undefiled, unfading glory of heaven. He's already got it. He has the Trinity. He has himself, has the the Son, has the Holy Spirit. What eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what, what the heart of man has not imagined, God's seen it. God's heard it and God has imagined it. The only thing, if you don't hear anything I say today, hear this sentence. The only thing that God has to look forward to in heaven that he doesn't already have is you. That's it. The only thing that God doesn't have in heaven that he has to look forward to is you. You are God's inheritance. And I want to say something to you today that maybe you've never heard before or maybe you've heard it a hundred times and it's never sunk in because the eyes of your heart weren't open to hear it. But here's what I want to say to you. God wants you. Did you know that? God wants badly to spend eternity with you. And you may be saying, well, Matt, but you don't know what I've done. I'm struggling with the idea that God even loves me, much less that he would make me his son, that he would then make me an heir and then make me a co-heir with Jesus and that I'm his inheritance. I'm struggling with the fact that I can't quit sinning. What do you mean I'm God's inheritance? Well, I want you to know, I don't care what you're in. I don't care what sin you're involved with. I don't care how unworthy you feel. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to pay for all that stuff. And that's why he rose from the grave, to clear all that stuff out. That's why God God looks at you and says, I want you to be my inheritance. God wants you, you're his. And if you will trust in Jesus today, I don't care how long you've been going to church, if you trust in Jesus today as your Lord and as your Savior and say, God, I believe all this stuff, you will be saved. And you will be a son or a daughter. And you will be an heir. And you will be an heir with Christ. And you will receive an inheritance. But not only that, you're going to be God's inheritance. And you will spend eternity with him. He will be yours. And you will be his. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I want to do two things and we're done. I want, I want, for those of you in the room that are believers, I want you to just take a second to thank the Lord for your salvation that he saved you. And he didn't just save you, but he made you a son and an heir, and a co-heir with Christ. And there is an imperishable, undefiled, Unfading inheritance waiting for you in glory. Just thank him for that. Think about it for just a second. And for those of you in the room that have never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I can't think of a better day than today, Easter Sunday morning, to do that. Just in the best way you know know how. Say, Lord, I, I prayed it. You forgive me my sins, that trust in the work of of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. And I wanna follow you the rest of my life. I wanna be your inheritance. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're in awe of you today. We, We are so, so in awe of this truth what you've done, that you didn't just save us, but you did all that and more through your great grace. God, we celebrate you now. We praise you. We love you. We pray that as you look at us, your sons and your daughters, you would see a grateful people for who you are, what you've done in our lives. And we ask this today in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together. Let's worship him.